0: Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This podcast series is brought to you by Morningstar offering you technology and services to support your end-to-end financial advice process, including product research, investment data, and comprehensive financial planning technology through AdvisorLogic. AdvisorLogic offers you simple yet powerful tools to run your business, deliver holistic advice, and build trust with clients. You can experience an industry-leading digital advice offering. Simply select pre-built strategies, compare products, and generate your advice documents within a single guided workflow. Welcome back to this episode on innovation brought to you by Morningstar. And we are covering off on the compliance side of things. Are all things compliance when it comes to uh, technology and efficiencies. Welcome back, Phil Thompson.
1: Thanks, Jack. Oh, sorry, Fraser. <laughs> Thanks,
0: Fraser. <laughs> Thank you for hanging out and talking to us about all things efficiencies when it comes to technology. Uh, today we're talking about a compliance, one of our favourite uh, topics. Of course, we <laughs> you, you sort of left off in the last episode talking about the idea of you know the uh, software being beneficial for making less mistakes and, and certainly doing things that um, that you know need to be done at the time frame when it needs to be done and having that uh, automation in place so that uh, we're not relying on human beings. Uh, tell us how you 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 know how you see software in this process. Um, for me, software, I think I said in one of the other episodes, it, it really
1: needs to do one of three things. Yeah. You know, it needs to help improve the client experience, help make me and my teams more efficient, or help us be more compliant. Um, and so, in the compliance area, like it's, I mean, it's a huge, huge thing for what we do. So, you know, having easy access to to data if asic ever knock on our door as per you know one of the fazia standards whichever i'm sure you know the number that i'm referring to but the ability to get easy access to data well um if it's a if paper documents are in my filing cabinet um and then i need to scan that in then that's that may not meet the fazia standards Um, so that's one area of compliance where if we've got the data and it's all easily accessible um to our systems then if asic ever on my door which you know that did for the um lif review i i had two of my soas reviewed i took me half an hour to get it already and and send it to to the licensee um the second area of compliance is just accuracy of data so that's an area of growth for me in my business is how do we make sure we're not making mistakes with any any of our soas or you know just simple things like um, income being associated with the wrong person. We've had, you know, SOAs go out where we've actually done the wrong income. Um, because someone's just input some data wrong. Um, date of birth, you know, within insurance, date of birth is, you know, if you're five years younger or older, that has a massive impact on, on premium. So, um, they're the kind of areas where having really well integrated software will reduce that, that human error.
0: Yep. And has it been bringing data across so that the, the data entry, I guess, is that, is that what you're referring to, the data entry yeah. not being incorrect here?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yep. And uh, I think, uh, and as you mentioned too, that that idea of proof that, you know, here is a file, here is the proof of everything that happened, when it happened, um, all those, you know, timestamps along the way, all, the, all those the sort of things that email, um, mm. whether it's email or whether it's in, in your system.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, just even because we are insurance only, so – from a compliance point of view, we need to make sure that the clients understand that and the clients agree to that and the clients are happy with that and the clients want insurance only advice and and not full service advice. So from a compliance point of view, that's really important to us to make sure we've got all those checks and balances that we can prove to ASIC that we're not just flogging insurance policies to anyone who wants, you know, investment advice. We're tailoring our client experience to the clients and, and what their goals and objectives are. And so, yeah, we use software where we're very clear with our clients via the first phone call that we're insurance only and just having a file note saying, I told the clients that, they want, that we only do insurance and they're happy with that isn't good enough. So, we also get them to sign a terms of engagement that says, I understand that it's insurance only advice. So, all of those things, sign terms of engagement before we do any work is, is really important.
0: Yeah. And when you say signing, what what sort of um what sort of signing are you doing obviously not yeah, hard signature?
1: Yeah, yeah, electronic signing.
0: Yeah. Um so
1: yeah, yeah, via one of our software providers, um signing off on on the terms of engagement electronically.
0: And uh, and how do you see the the uh concept of, you know, the the data and the security data being sort of different now in this new world? Yeah, I mean, I think
1: it's it's super important that we are cautious the, the benefit of having all the data in my filing cabinet is no one's coming and grabbing my filing cabinet um, and so you know that data is very secure um, having it all on the cloud and all provided electronically reduces the or sorry increases the likelihood that something's gonna um, happen with that data um, so it is super important um, and again it goes to that compliance making sure that we are Protecting our clients' data and and it's not going into yeah you know, getting into the wrong hands. Um, so that is a big area of, of focus for us is to think about how do we house that data.
0: Yep. Uh, th- are there any sort of other risks that you see in in this process when it comes to I guess the compliance side? Or? I mean, the, we're talking about financial planning. There's risk in everything mm. we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels yeah. like there's we're
1: we're walking on potholes every day. And um, so I mean, there's there's plenty of risks there. Like the the risk i see in my practice and the way i think about it is yes we get clients to sign off on a terms of engagement saying it's risk only but signing an electronic document when paying a fee is very easy to sign off on that and turn around and you know three years later saying actually i didn't know i was signing that um so there is always that risk of you know the clients can sign something but do they understand it and having not being there when they're signing it and re-communicating that when they're signing the original kind of terms of engagement increases that risk that they don't know what they're signing they're just quickly signing off on it.
0: Now I see I see uh, obviously with when it comes to efficiencies compliance has been a uh, over the over the last you know 10 15 years a, a big a big cost on the business when you're doing it manually uh, and then when you think about some of the efficiencies that can take place with technology uh in this space with regards to you know maybe i don't know things automatically saying yes all these people have been sent that all these people have been sent that how do you see the the idea of you know compliance or the cost of compliance maybe coming down or being more efficient using technology
1: yeah i mean an area of compliance you know that's very relevant in my world right now is with the first of october income protection changes i'm sure this is coming out after that but we are very cautious that we need to make sure clients are fully aware and um, that they're making a an informed decision with their income protection and they're not just rushing in just to get a policy in place um, we also need to make sure that if clients don't go ahead we've got the records that we followed them up multiple times with multiple um, ways of communicating email messages whereby they were followed up with so for me I can sleep at night going well the clients not going to come back to me in a month's time and say hey I've got this worse income protection policy and if i claim in 10 years time i'm going to come and sue you because i can show that i've got the records that you know we gave them enough notice um and we followed them up enough times to then go well you know our hands are clean if you choose not to go ahead then that's okay but um but it's not our fault
0: yep now when in in a future world you know the, the the perfect scenario for um technology and compliance how, how do you see that panning out to what what sort of things do you see in this space in the compliance space that would be just like incredible to for, for the most incredible
1: outcome? Oh, I mean, there's so many things that like financial planning. We are so backwards in our way of of doing business. We've got so much to move, and compliance does. I don't. know. My view is compliance isn't necessarily the one holding us back all the time. Like our fear of actually moving is can be the one holding us back and, and we just kind of call it compliance because that's an easy excuse. Um, so, yes, compliance has a bit to move um, but the future of advice is, I mean, super bright like I think if we build in compliance um, into everything we do and think about, you know, are we meeting the standards that we set ourselves and that, you know, the regulators set for us, we kind of bake that into every, every step of the process. And that's the way I think about it as well.
0: Like, yeah, it's an interesting thought. I think you're, I think you're right there. I think a lot of, a lot of the time, compliance is, is used as the, as the excuse. It's
1: a financial planning boogeyman. It's so easy to blame compliance for everything. I'm not profitable enough because of compliance.
0: Well, are you? Okay. <laughs> fair, fair enough, Bill. Thanks for coming on <laughs> this. Thanks for coming on this episode. We might leave it there, and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode when we talk about change management. Thanks, mate. Welcome back, Jody Douglas.
2: Hi, Fraser.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Now, we're talking about compliance uh, and technology and innovation and all the things that uh, efficiencies that come into uh, this new world of compliance. Obviously, uh, from your point of view, you're not only the business owner and and advisor at at Mad About Life, but you're also the responsible manager and licensee as a self-licensed planner.
2: Yes, that's correct. I now wear many hats, but really, they're all hats that we we wear anyway as an advisor. It's just a little bit more um, differentiated between the three.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. It's a bit like, I guess, uh, you know, being the uh, self, I, I related back to the self-managed, super fun trustee conversation. It's still you, but it's you, you've got to wear the trustee hat today. It's
2: just a different hat. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, talk, talk to us about, uh, you know, your systems and processes and how that works when, when, when you're overlaying compliance.
2: Yeah, certainly. So when it comes to digital technology, it's about making sure that not only does it uh, meet an efficiency requirement in terms of the client but also the compliance side of things. So actually one of my points that I wrote down earlier was – Putting technology in place to solve a client efficiency problem is one thing, but is it going to also make our compliance efficient as well, or would it create more problems? So, when we're looking at our technology, we need to actually have those two checklists around the requirements of what we need to fulfill in terms of the efficiency uh, tool, but also the compliance tool, security measures, all of those sorts of things as well.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a big part of it, isn't it? Security um, when it comes to data. Talk to us about, um, you know, that just that the data security and 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 how much effort you've put into that.
2: Yeah, certainly. So really important when as we have ten different softwares, we always need to consider. Okay, having these separate means we need to make sure that they all separately meet those security measures, and that can be quite tricky sometimes because each of the softwares have their own secure. Um, security requirements within them. Um, One of the things that we utilize in our business is LastPass for our password security. And that is updated regularly in terms of those those passwords, it's one sign in and it stores them securely. So that's great. And ensuring that nobody has passwords saved locally on their computers and so forth, it's all within that LastPass secure mechanism. Uh, that's what's one of the key things. Um, and then also, you know, updating passwords and things like that regularly as well. We also don't have anything saved locally. Everything is saved that's client orientated within our AdviserLogic CRM. So, we don't have a Dropbox or OneDrive with client information in it. It's all held securely within the document vault of, of AdviserLogic and we know that that's secure. Um, therefore, reducing any risk um, of breaching those security requirements, which is really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now tell us about the um the idea of, uh, and I know that you're across this because you, you catch up every month on it, but the idea around um, sometimes compliance can be, you know, not thought about or not, you know, you've put something in place and now you just trust it. It's going to go on and go forth. And, and you almost come to that point where you just rely on software to always going to be there and do the thing you're meant to without actually going back and checking on it regularly.
2: Yeah, you can't do that because everything changes all the time <laughs> and our requirements change and so does the software requirements. Uh, so really important that we're always reviewing that. Um, I can't think of anything offhand that's happened where we've needed to change um, and that's simply because of we have everything within that one CRM and we've made a really strong business decision to ensure that client information is not is not spread any further than within that logic CRM. And it's only held within those different softwares for the purpose. So, for example, Zoom, Zoom meetings, we don't use the recording function within Zoom. Um, I do voice file notes and save them within AdvisorLogic. So, we just try and reduce the spread of information uh, by just utilising that one CRM and deleting it off other areas as required once it's in there.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point too, making sure that you actually take the time to delete stuff where it's not needed.
2: Yes, most definitely. Um, Even our, like our downloads folder, we do a regular um, like Teams update to the whole team every Friday, um, whereby we say, don't forget to delete your downloads file um, because otherwise it can end up massive and slow everything down, but also, you know, it's keeping things locally. So, little things like that within your business to ensure that you're meeting those security requirements, Um, you know, not just forgetting that, you know, computers are wonderful at actually saving things as well.
0: Yeah, which is part of their job. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about future. How the future of compliance? Do you think obviously, um, as as data becomes more structured and um, and we we can uh, you know maybe look at key risk indicators and guardrails and things like that. T- talk to me how you see maybe the, maybe the future of com- compliance um, kicking yeah. on.
2: Definitely. Technology is evolving and we are always moving forward. And I think the world of compliance is starting to look at, okay, we need to have efficiency and we also need to have compliance and how do we do this? I really feel that the software providers um, that are well-placed in terms of evolving are going to manage that for us. I'm hoping that's the case. I'm hoping AdvisorLogic and Morningstar actually come out with some really great tools to be able to look at how are. Our advised practices like us currently doing things with all of these different apps and having it all within the one and i think that that would tick off many of our compliance requirements particularly security um and, and privacy um, by having everything all within that one tool um, which would be great for efficiency and compliance
0: yep fantastic uh, Jodie. thank you so much for coming on this particular episode we look forward to catching you in the last episode where we talk about change management
2: thanks fraser look forward to it
0: Welcome back, Mitch. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. So now in this episode, we're talking about all things around around compliance when it comes to technology and, uh, you know, and obviously there's a lot of work that uh, technology can do in this space. Uh, Tell us about uh, your experience.
3: So compliance for me sort of has a a bit of a a double meaning. Um, Compliance both with um, what we want to be a really slick, Um, and and very trouble-free client outcome, compliant client outcome as far as the the delivery of that by technology, but also compliance as far as it pertains to the end end advisor that's using it. So some of the the key indicators for us um, that I've sort of alluded to quite heavily um, are are controlled by the licensee. So right now for us in, in the evolution of our business really isn't an issue. Um, at being guarded, guided by a large in- institution, we can be conscious that from a compliance point of view, we can lean on them quite heavily and utilize all of the hard work that they've done with an acute awareness as a large organization of, of, of what that needs to look like. Um, so we really, we sort of really appreciate the, the licensee oversight. But from a, uh, from a compliance point of view, uh, the, the use of technology for us is probably more coming to bear in the change and evolution that we're seeing in the industry around just the rigours that the advisor is having to go through in respect to maintaining their individual AR compliance in in this current world. Um, Our business, um, just for for colour and context, has moved to a a fixed-term service agreement, so a year-on-year renewable uh, client service agreement um, and around those, uh, there is some really significant metrics that need to be met throughout the year, um, and, and we utilise the software, our software, to do that, to drive that really, really, um, finitely throughout the business. So the uh, all of the tasks and threads and reminders that come out of the software are, are really quite significant. Um, and it's not just the, you know some of the larger proprietary ones that do that. There's actually a couple of gentlemen down in Melbourne um, that have developed a program that you know that in no way affiliated, um, but but just something that we've been looking at. It's called I Comply, and and these guys have built a really sophisticated end to end compliance program um, where it's real paint by numbers the whole way through, um, and 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 really assists in, you know, that other aspect of compliance that I'm talking about, to make sure in this current environment where we are just uh, I don't know if it's the right way to put it, but walking on eggshells and just really tiptoeing around all of the compliance requirements that we have and and just how fraught with danger, you know, fraught with danger in a number of different ways, be that financially and, and any other any other aspects that may that that, that may bring to bear. Um, we I see it and we see it re- as really really important to have a very effective uh, tool to assist you to manage those really granular required and very finite list of list of tasks that you have per client year in year out and there's some really fantastic solutions out there around it
0: yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously, there's two sides. So there's one is you know, if you relieve it to a human being to make these, uh, you know, to remember to do everything, something gets missed for sure. Uh, and then we, and then so we implement a software or a system or a process in place where, where we then now rely on that software and system. And and uh, you know, if if this, if for any reason the system doesn't do what it's meant to do, then uh, then you know, often there's nobody checking.
3: Yeah, and I suppose that comes back to that integration piece, right? And and leaning on. The developer and having a really good understanding and relationship with whoever that provider is to make sure that there is some some parameters and guidelines and a really good understanding and um, I know that this is probably getting off compliance, but it actually help you know it actually helps with compliance when uh, when implementing any of these in your business. We tend to have a subject matter expert with any of the particular um, programs or suites of programs that we're employing so that uh, you do have that individual in the business that can provide the overlay or sense check at any stage to make sure that if you are wholly and solely reliant on uh, the program to be giving the right outputs, you need to make sure that uh, there's somebody in the business that can that can uh, verify and ratify that we're giving the right inputs to get that out in the first place. So that's a very important part from us, for us from a compliance point of view is making sure that there's somebody really specialised in our business with that particular product suite to ensure that we're using it to its fullest extent and what we're getting out is correct to a T.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And if they don't need to make any minor changes, obviously most software packages allow you to make you know a lot of changes internally. Uh, and develop a lot of stuff internally and so um, to have somebody like you said a, a subject matter expert inside your business is, is a great idea yeah um, talk to us about uh, maybe the the idea around with with compliance or the or the cost of implementing software um, and, and how you see um, software maybe you know helping with reduce some of the, the cost of compliance
3: so we've seen a significant reduce in the cost of compliance recently and this is out of the back. Uh, the implementation of a software suite coming out of our licensee. Um, They've got a what is, I suppose, a a goals-based multi-tool calculator type um, program that we use that, from a compliance point of view, is almost fail-safe. It's manipulated by the client. Um, It's then provides an output to the advisor and the client to be used in a secondary meeting. And not only does it engage the client and and engage the client to the extent that we have had um, significant direct client feedback just about the uplift and experience that they've had in the employment of this software, but then when you look up, look to the other side of it, both the, the client directly, the advisor then in, in the meeting Verifying the data and utilising that data in their presentation, and then having automated outputs without it having been transposed across, has limited uh, human capital time checking and provided that because of the way that the 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 synergies that it has with our our advice delivery software. the, the fact find, the modelling and all of the things that come out of that directly flowing into X-Plan has mean that we have, um, I suppose, increased capacity of, of our team and shed some of those um, onerous, more granular in the weeds tasks that would have involved handwriting and scanning and emailing and all of those sorts of things, uploading to certain programs, they're gone now. So we can then pivot those people into producing more revenue. So, by virtue of being able to do that, the cost of compliance actually potentially reduces. So, I actually see that there's um, everything's about perspective, Fraser. It's if you, if you look at the direct cost, you can get stuck in the weeds. If you look at the capacity that it can reju- that it that it can release to allow the specialists in your business to be out there generating revenue and doing what they what they need to be doing, um, I, I I would argue that you probably end up in a net neutral position in a lot of circumstances.
0: Yep, fantastic. Uh, thanks, Mitch, for coming on and chatting to us. in this episode, we look forward to catching you in the next one. Awesome, thanks, mate. Welcome back, Vicky.
4: Welcome back, Fraser.
0: Thank you. Uh, Now, in this episode, we're talking a lot about compliance, which uh, you probably don't know a lot about the financial services compliance in the regime, but I'm pretty sure you would have your own set of compliance rules.
4: We do. We operate under a regulator, like most industries, um, and many of our um, agile projects have a large compliance piece to them.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So obviously compliance is a big part of the decision-making process when you're looking at projects or, or sprints. Tell us about how that comes and when that comes into the process.
4: Yeah, we talk a lot about the risk of not doing versus the the um, you know risk of getting it right and how much time that may take. So there's a definite play in Agile around um, our risk tolerance, uh, which comes into meeting compliance, but at to what level. We used to probably being quite risk adverse um, and spending an awful lot of time ticking compliance boxes to the nth degree. Uh, So we have a quick chat about that. Uh, And then we really work on a system of making sure that that compliance approval uh, is done early and during rather than a card getting to the point where it could have been released to our customers other than an approval tick. So we want that running alongside the work, the compliance piece.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So it's about it's about putting that compliance work in early, um, when the con- when it's still a concept. Um, talk to us about uh, talk to us about that. You mentioned that some of the the the, the risk has changed from the, the you know the the big long tick box compliance thing. Can you go into that a bit more, a bit deeper?
4: Yeah, like obviously, um, in a, even in our prioritization technique, the must have. So there's leg- legal and regulatory requirements that we put in our must have. But there comes a point uh, if you know, we can't get all of those um, done, what is the risk if there's 10 tech boxes and number 10s, uh, Not we haven't managed to make it. Uh, nine times out of 10, supposedly, uh, we need to get them all. Uh, but we have to actually try and use some of our agile systems and tools to give our product owner a version of what would happen if we went to release without what we didn't manage to get to done. And that includes compliance.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And uh, how do you see... Um, You know, data and technology improving the the compliance process over time?
4: Yeah, so um, I think we get quite system and process, we get our systems and processes really streamlined to put through small packages and easy pieces of work uh, that we used to probably start from scratch. So, templating. Uh, So, we have a lot of business partners in Telstra in our legal department, uh, in a lot of our regulatory, uh, in risk who partner with the large functional heads to sort of say, these are the things I need to see because you've made quite a few mistakes in the past in this area, or they're just such a big risk for us that they're the mandatories. I have to have those. They must have through me. These ones down here, I'm gonna let you have a play. I'm gonna let you roll with those and we're gonna evaluate how you went. Um, at the end of our um, sprint
0: review, fantastic. And sometimes, obviously, uh, there's you know a, a short history of compliance uh, within financial advice. There's often uh, rules um, rules made to protect consumers, which is great. And then uh, and then there's an interpretation that comes in uh, after that. And there's often different and weird and varying interpretations. Um, how do you guys get around that? I, I guess uh, do, do you have to you know I guess if, if it's just one company, it's, it's easier to just say no. This is our interpretation. We're just going to have to build this.
4: Mm -hmm. I guess there's a compliance maturity. So you would know um, various people who can interpret those things with less risk of getting it wrong, uh, as opposed to myself probably jumping straight in and deciding that I I know whether a tech piece has met our compliance. Um, But those people are, are rare, so they can't be across every mission at the same time. Uh, so again, it's that um, risk-based approach. But just calling out early, I guess, and, and learning from our mistakes is probably the, the most important piece. We can only our documentation is pretty clear to say what how we interpreted and the path we went down. Um, it's more about how we deal with it if that um, interpretational path wasn't ideal. Uh, and that's fast, honest, uh, and straightforward.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And how do you see the sort of the future panning out when it comes to uh, when it comes to you know technology being able to help people comply easier?
4: Yeah, so I, I definitely think um, it's a big part of it, but obviously data integrity and security, um, we don't want the manipulation um, of any of that to um, make compliance you know, sort of an easy way around. So yeah, I think it's going to be security of all our platforms um, will be the, the number one piece.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Vicky. We look forward to catching you in the next episode.
4: Thank you, Fraser.
0: Welcome back, Ivan. Thanks, Fraser fantastic to have you here now we're talking all things compliance from different aspects and points of view uh, it's obviously a huge part of everything that uh, that you do in in, in your role uh, you know we've got different levels of compliance it seems to take up a, a huge amount of people's time for, for well in the advice industry especially uh, tell us about how important it is with you
5: it is important there's no there's no doubt compliance is a sort of necessary part of business, right? And the challenge for us is to try to find a way to make compliance efficient um, without undermining the the kind of basis behind um, why regulations have been put in place. Uh, so I think, for instance, you you often see regulations come up that drive changes to um, to the way we do things and the purpose of them is to is to change behaviours, um, to to make sure that we do adapt and we don't take shortcuts and undertake due diligence. So from a technology perspective, we need to facilitate that change of behaviour rather than shortcutting it, rather than automating it. And uh, so I think from a user perspective, we often find that there's a change in some kind of compliance and our users will hope for um, no impact on efficiency or no impact on process. Uh, and we have to work with them to, to help them sort of understand that we all have to tweak a process. We'll have to change something because we, you know, we need to send them down a slightly different path so that they can adhere to, to new changes coming through.
0: Exactly. And I love the idea of leaning into this as, um, uh, you know, from software, from from an advisor point of view, from, you know, just be able to say, great, how can we how can we implement things in a process or a system that help us, um, you know, be compliant, that, that provide us with a, a greater level of compliance? Um, I love the concept of, you know, the key risk indicators, for example, of the guide rails and that financial planning software. software if we've got structured data can then start looking at putting guardrails in place to say, you know, if this, then that, um, having some ideas that say, you know, if this particular type of client's getting this particular type of product, maybe that might sit with a, you know, a standard deviation outside of the normal or whatever it might be. Uh, tell, tell us about where that sort of, where that's up to.
5: Well, I love data, right. We talked about, we talked about my, my sort of fascination with what we can do with the information that we're putting into the system. The opportunities I see for for data are to, um, to raise flags in real time for users. You know, in times past when you don't have the power of data to support analysis, you restrict users from doing things. And that can really slow things down where there's a situation outside of the norm. Um, so if, for instance, you sort of said, here's your approved product list, you can't recommend anything that's not on that APL. Now, there's valid circumstances where you will want to recommend something that's not on an APL. If a system is too restrictive, all of a sudden, you've really slowed the user down and stopped them from moving any further. Um, On the other hand, if there's nothing to flag it for them, then you can have um, people with the very best intentions making that could be negligent errors, or they could just be sort of misinterpreting some policy information that the licensee's released or that that they're trying to work by. So having these flags in place, being able to uh, understand what people are doing, and then sort of say, you've just gone outside that flag. Um, You've just recommended a product that's not on the APL. Just drop a file note in, right? And you get a message, you pop a file note in, and that can then... Um, you can continue on with the advice. And that paper trail, which I I think is the key for for compliance, being able to sort of tell that story around how you've gone from A to B and recommended a certain strategy for clients, that's in place. You know, if you dovetail that into the whole um, compliance and risk management framework for a licensee, then you can start to sort of show them these are the flags that have come up. And these are how people have addressed them. And they might be able to review those responses, um, address anything that is that is inappropriate, um, but also look at the way that they are communicating their policies and their guidelines to users so that they can reinforce some of the things that that people might be getting wrong. And I feel that's a a really sort of positive and proactive way of helping people understand the boundaries they're working in, and at the same time, not slowing them down from their process.
0: Yeah, 100% agree. Um, you know that, that that concept of being able to do, still do stuff, but um, but you know, be able to create that. Why did you do it that way? Um, messaging along the way, really. You know, the the ultimate here would be to not have to worry about all the remediation stuff that took place over many years, uh, because the software is you know flagging things along the way that whatever it might be. And as you said, there's a, there's also the oversight type conversations when it comes to um, is you know. It's, it's kind of like a little bit of an oversight from the software, um, but then it might flag a, um, a, a human conversation.
5: It kind of, I, I totally agree. And I think it, it it's, you know, what approach, what approach are we going to take to managing compliance? Are we going to focus on um, the fact that people are inherently bad and we need to stop them from doing bad things? Or are we going to acknowledge that people are good and they sometimes make mistakes. And I think if you take the latter approach, then you can really support the um, the the advice process without slowing it down, and help it continue to improve.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I love I love what you said before about the paper trail, um, the data trail, isn't it? It's sort of the data. Uh, the data will tell the story. The data will provide the proof of what happened and when it happened. And um, and that's the beauty of using a system rather than just relying on somebody's word necessarily. Tell us about security. Security is sort of a big thing for a lot of people. Just making sure that um, you know the old days of locking locking the file ca- filing cabinet was uh, uh, locking the inside of locked office, and and some people then even from a client point of view, we always worry about where we're putting our data.
5: We we absolutely do, and I'm sure a lot of advisors would have experiences of clients who are very very protective of their data and want to make sure that it's tightly controlled. And of course, in Australia, we have. Very, very tight privacy laws and um, all sorts of regulation around what you can do and how you can how you can use data and how you need to protect it. Um, it's something that sitting inside a, a technology business, we are always um, undertaking ongoing information security training, uh, lots of tests, lots of audits, lots of reviews of processes, and um, and you know that is designed for the for the greater good to protect people's data. Um, we do, of course, have some some really rigorous processes around what happens if um, there's a data breach, and how do we go about um, reporting, rectifying, and uh, and removing the risk of that happening again. Um, ironically, though, we're doing a lot of work at the, at the sort of back end of this process, and then at the front end of the process, um, there's plenty of advisors who aren't necessarily taking that same level of protection. You know, they've, they've got a license to an application and an external power planner uses that license to jump in and, uh, and do some power planning work or something like that. So it's something that I think we, we need to be mindful of throughout the industry. Um, and it's got to work all the way through the process where, where we are aware of the, the data people are sharing with us and the consequences of it getting um, getting picked up or, or shown to other people.
0: Yeah, the shared login thing's interesting, isn't it? Because it's sort of, um, it's it's tempting, but it's also a massive risk.
5: It, it's it's like every risk. You don't necessarily see it as important until all of a sudden it really is. And uh, more and more we're seeing evidence of, um, you know, phishing activity that captures people's data and might be isolated to a single incident or may end up sort of picking up passwords and getting getting into um applications or email systems or something like that and once that happens you know those those cases where people have their Dropbox usage locked and they can't access it the ransomware stuff, um, it's really frightening and it really has an impact on a business. so um, this is something that I think everyone really needs to be aware of and um, at a at a sort of individual business level reinforcing that um, protection of data. And you know, sensible use of it sounds a bit boring, right? But sensible use of technology so that you're not exposing um, your client's information to any of these risks.
0: Yeah, it certainly is a, certainly is a, a worry for some clients. But it, uh, I think you're absolutely right. You know, for advisors to be taking taking it a bit, you know, fairly seriously uh, is a must. Um, talk to us about the concept of um, you know the the cost of. Uh, the cost of compliance versus, you know, the, the whole idea that, that we're talking about today is around efficiency. Um, how should be people be treating the, 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 the cost involved with, you know, being compliant?
5: I feel one of the biggest inefficiencies with compliance is that sort of lack of clarity around what the rules are. Um, so I would say one of the best ways to address the cost of compliance is to really be sure about what you need to do, Um, because I, I feel like when you talk to various people throughout the industry, they interpret regulation and compliance and then add on a little bit of extra to be on the safe side. And as that filters down and down and down, all of a sudden, that little bit extra that's added on at every step of the process can become quite time-consuming and can become a real cost within a practice. Um, so understanding what you can do and understanding the difference between this is what I need to do to be compliant and then this is what I want to do to add a great customer experience. And that's totally valid, but you know, if an SOA is taking you... I don't know, 10 hours to write from start to finish, how much of that is compliance and how much of that is is value add and how can you start to try to reduce the time that you're spending without impacting the client experience throughout that and while obviously maintaining your um, diligent approach to compliance.
0: Yeah, that uh, what you're saying gets me a little bit wound up with all the different versions of SOAs and the different versions of the interpretations. It uh, it's, it's certainly frustrating from uh, from every point of view. I think it's probably very frustrating from from the software technology point of view trying to build something when you when there's so many different uh, ideas of the rules.
5: Yeah, and I mean a a really good approach to to sort of working through that is to talk to your provider around. You know what do they recommend you do to solve a problem? Because they're building features and processes and functionality to to solve the same problem that you're trying to trying to solve. But some people will fall into the trap of approaching um, approaching that that challenge with here's what I do. How can the technology make that work? Right. So this is a, a square peg going into a round hole, as opposed to saying this is what the technology. Wants me to do. How can I adapt and adopt that um, so I can still provide a you know a great client experience? I can still be efficient, but I'm kind of leveraging the the best practice approach to the tech over the long term that kind of solution is really going to pay off. You know, these days we, we tend to configure technology more than customize it. Um, you know, many years ago, we would take a piece of tech and we would say, how can we bend this so that it works for my processes? And nowadays, you want to configure, you want to understand how it works and then try and tweak that configuration because as the software evolves and we keep building on it, that's the path it's going to take. Um, maintaining the customized version of something can really become costly and, and um, create risks down the track
0: yeah I couldn't agree more so a little bit of flexibility is required from uh, from the advisor's point of view and basically the licensees point of view uh, now if we had a uh, blank sheet of paper and we could create some some you know some future ideas around what what uh, compliance or technology could look like uh, where would we go my,
5: my answer is always going to come back to data Fraser um, I. I've, that, that is where we can really leverage what's going on in the system. We can report on how people are using this, the technology. We can raise those flags. We can analyze it. And we can we can proactively make sure that people are working in the client's best interests. And I think as we're doing that, as you encourage people to to kind of follow that process and keep the data in the system, the more data we have, the better we can service clients, the better we can analyze our businesses and start to understand that, you know, these are the these are the clients who are generating the most revenue for us. These are clients who we're spending a lot of time on, but not necessarily generating um, enough revenue to cover our costs. How can we improve our business? Um, where are we? Where are we finding efficiencies? Um, and then, how can we service clients better? And I think that uh, I I love the idea of being able to use what information is in the database to identify opportunities for clients. Um, Anyone who has a client coming into the office um, will either sit down or will get a support staff member to sit down and go through that client file and sort of say, "Well, how are we going? What can we do? Where should we be? Where should we be directing this client towards?" We could do that in real time. That's that's for me the big opportunity across the industry
0: yeah i couldn't agree more you know not just uh, it's not just about identifying opportunities but also about identifying those risks if you think something's coming up and uh, whether it be a you know you see clients going on a on a uh, a, a, there's a notice that comes in saying clients have been on a spending spree for the last three months might might need a conversation uh through to um you know or they've you know they've cancelled something or not paid for something and, and, and and the plan is now uh coming out of whack so i think uh I think there's plenty of opportunity in that space um, as the software builds out. And as you said, I think the key to that is getting as much data, structured data in there as we can. Agree, agree. Ivan, thanks for catching up in this episode. Let's catch up again very shortly when we talk about change management.
5: Sounds good. Thanks, Fraser.